Inside Chicago Government. ShyGov.com. Welcome to another in a series of interviews about and sounds of Chicago government. I'm Dave Glowatz. In this episode, you'll hear frank dialogue between Chicago Police Superintendent Larry Snelling and Chief Administrator of the Civilian Office of Police Accountability, Andrea Kirsten. This unexpected and somewhat contentious interaction came at a public meeting of the Chicago Police Board on February 22, 2024. This audio starts with Superintendent Snelling. What I'd like to talk about is transparency, accountability, and officer wellness. What I'd like to talk about is the process that is affecting officer wellness. It's also affecting officers' performance, but it's also affecting the safety of members of the community. This has to do with CPD's relationship with COPA. It has to do with penalties. It has to do with the way that these penalties are determined. In the effort of transparency, what I'd like to do is talk about this relationship so that we can get the ball rolling in a way that's going to be more effective for our police officers, for our department, and for this board. Why officers weigh on the side of arbitration. I am a strong believer in transparency. I don't believe anything needs to be done behind closed doors. I believe that the facts of a case should be spoken, should be spoken about openly so that the public can hear the facts of a case and that the public is educated on what happened in that case. If we have officers who are guilty of willful wrongdoing and they're acting negatively and egregiously with misconduct, they should be held accountable all the way up to separation. But when we have officers who make mistakes, we should consider that it's a mistake as opposed to willful wrongdoing. Mistakes are usually corrected through training. A lot of times mistakes are made because someone is uneducated, uninformed, or undertrained. Willful wrongdoing, those officers have no place on this department or wearing a uniform. It's that simple. We will hold our own accountable. However, we've seen penalties from 30 days up to separation. After reviewing the investigation that is provided by COPA, we've seen personal opinions and speculation and making these decisions on sustaining a case of misconduct against an officer. Personal opinions, speculation should not be a part of the investigation. There are three things that we should consider when we're looking at misconduct for an officer. The first thing is the law. The second thing are our policies, department policies. And the third thing is the training. If we find that our officers have violated any of these things, those are the considerations for making a judgment to sustain allegations of wrongdoing. When we speculate, when we add our personal opinions, then those penalties become punitive and unfair and unfair to the officers. 
Now, I sit here and say this because, President Cooper, you, you said it in the beginning and you couldn't have said it better. Officers oftentimes face with making split-second decisions. And anyone who would find themselves sitting in this room right now with a gun pointed at you or someone coming at you with a knife, I ask you to ask yourselves a question. What would you do in that moment? Do you know how you would respond in that moment? These are things that we have to consider. So what we're seeing are egregious penalties for extremely minor infractions. Now, oftentimes when I go through these reports, I agree that the infraction should have been sustained. But a 30-day, 90-day suspension is egregious. And what you do to that officer is you take them out of the rotation. Because when that officer sees a suspension that large for such a minor infraction, that officer stops working. This puts everyone in this city in danger. It puts our officers in danger because now those officers are afraid to respond because they're worried about being judged unfairly. I think it's important that we understand right now that transparency has to be the key. When we have individuals walk in and they make their statements, it's great. When we talk about certain cases, we just state that the superintendent did not meet his burden of proof or COPA did not meet their burden of proof. But we don't talk about the facts of that case. So people are left to wonder why that decision was made without any context. So what I ask of the board is to consider this, that when we are transparent and we want that transparency, it still should be rooted in fairness. It should be rooted in a full investigation, a full open investigation. The Chicago Police Department is always being held accountable. I hear it all the time, police accountability, police accountability. But who's overseeing the overseer? How do we determine how these investigations are going and how it's affecting our officer and our officer's wellness? What I want to do is create a relationship with our community and our community members that is healthy. That is hard to do if there's a negative picture painted of our officers all the time, no matter what they do, because we keep the narrative going that our officers cannot interact with our community members in a respectful manner and a manner in which our community members would appreciate. If we have officers who are doing that, they don't have to worry about COPA. They have to worry about me. They have to worry about our department. I want to build the relationship. I want to re-image this department. I want our officers to go out to the community and interact with a way that's going to make each and every person in this room and in this city feel safe and comfortable walking to their cars. That becomes an impossibility when our officers are constantly painted with a broad brush and a negative light. These are human beings, men and women, 
who err at times. They make mistakes. They go home to their families. They deal with stress. They deal with the same problems that every single person in this room deals with on a daily basis. But because they wear a uniform, there are times where they walk, walk to places and their very uniform, the uniform that they wear is offensive to people. We have got to break that narrative. It's got to break down. We have got to get beyond this. If we do not get beyond this, we will not grow. We are spinning our wheels right now. I'm looking at the consent decree. I appreciate it. This is an opportunity to make this department better. And I want to move it forward. This is an opportunity to do something great. This is not about political gain. I stayed and took this job because I want to increase a positive relationship between the police department and our community members. It is that important to me. Those people that you see sitting out there right now, these people in the front row are out there in the grind. They're in the thick of things. They are putting their lives on the line every single day, trying to keep their community safe. And we want to walk with them. That becomes hard to do when our officers are being discriminated against. And trust me, it is a level of discrimination. I feel it when I walk up and someone says, I don't talk to the police. I've had someone say that to me because I'm a black person. It feels the same. Discrimination is discrimination. And much like we shouldn't judge an entire community because of what a small percentage of people in that community do. We shouldn't judge an entire police department because of the behavior of a small number of police officers, those who should not be on this job. And as a police department, we have failed in the past. And we have failed by not removing those people who should not be here, who have brought shame upon our department. So we are going to continue to move forward. But what I would ask, all I ask, is that our officers are judged fairly, that we take our personal feelings out and take the judgment out when we are making decisions on police misconduct. It is that important. We have officers right now who have been called murderers, who are simply trying to protect themselves or protect someone else. Unless we know the facts of that case, people will continue to call them murderers. We cannot allow that. We can't. Because those people become suicidal. We talk to them. Fairness, that's all we ask. That's all we ask. When we look at a, a person who has committed murder, he gets a trial. He gets an attorney. All we ask is the same thing. We shouldn't be considered guilty and we have to prove ourselves innocent. If we've done something wrong, Trust me, most officers know, and they know that that punishment is coming, and they, they, they're accepting of it, as long as it's fair. With that, I'll get off of my soapbox. My name is Scott Spears, and I'm the acting general counsel to the superintendent. In 2024, the department has seen a substantial increase in the number of separation cases sent to the superintendent by COPA for review. Under the COPA ordinance, the superintendent has a review period of up to 90 days to respond to the COPA chief administrator's recommendation for discipline. 
If the superintendent does not respond within this review period, then the COPA chief administrator's recommendation is deemed accepted. Because of the serious consequences of a recommendation for separation, the Office of Legal Affairs assigns a legal officer to conduct a review of each COPA recommendation for separation. A legal officer is a sergeant who is also a licensed attorney. A legal officer is best suited to conduct this review because of the legal officer's training and experience, both as an attorney and as a sworn member of the department. The Office of Legal Affairs currently has five legal officers. A COPA separation case usually includes 50 or more attachments, with the most complex cases having well over 100 attachments, all of which require review. These attachments usually include written reports, audio recorded interviews, surveillance video, and body-worn camera video. It is reasonable to expect that a reviewing a separation case will take a legal officer 40 hours, in addition to the other duties that legal officers attend to as a regular part of their jobs. In all of 2023, the superintendent received a total of 32 COPA separation cases. Through today, February 22nd, the superintendent has received 28 COPA separation cases, only four less than was received in all of 2023. 26 of these cases are over 18 months old. On January 27th alone, the superintendent received 19 separation cases. For comparison, by this time in 2023, the superintendent had received only six separation cases from COPA. In order to handle this high volume of separation cases and meet the strict deadlines in the COPA ordinance, the Office of Legal Affairs has been forced to undertake an overtime initiative. This initiative involves both the five legal officers in legal affairs, as well as three former legal officers who've been promoted to the rank of lieutenant. The lieutenants who are part of the overtime initiative are undertaking these reviews in addition to their normal full-time workload and duties. Receiving 19 separation cases in one day is unprecedented and represents a substantial strain on department resources. However, the Office of Legal Affairs will conduct a thorough review of each case. With the overtime initiative and use of additional resources, the Office of Legal Affairs fully anticipates completing the review of these cases within the time frame required by the ordinance. I will now ask the Chief Administrator of COPA, Andrea Kirsten, to give a report. I'll go off script as well this evening, and I think that will serve the public the best that I can in light of the remarks made by Superintendent Snelling, Acting General Counsel Spears, and Chief Yolanda Talley. I'm going to start with the most recent comments relating to the uptick of separation recommendations received from COPA by CPD in January, culminating on January 27th. That's not a mistake. That was by design in the sense that we were given, as was the Bureau of Internal Affairs, a 45-day window after the collective bargaining agreement governing the Fraternal Order of Police was signed in December to conclude every investigation that's over 18 months old, otherwise perhaps forfeit the entirety of that case. We had to also undertake an overtime initiative for my staff in order to go through those 30-odd cases. In fact, the list we started with was 200 and some cases that were over 18 months old in order to make sure that those investigations were concluded by that time. 
you know, just earlier before this meeting started, I went over to CPD's side to start talking a little bit about some of these issues, not realizing that you were planning to to speak about this uh, publicly, but I'm certainly glad that you have. The way that the contract negotiation happened and what COPA was apprised of in advance is something that I think we could we could discuss, but we didn't have a lot of time to prepare for the 45 days that we were given to conclude all of our older investigations. Thankfully, because of the work that we've been doing this entire last year in 2023, and I come here every month and I bang on and on about our timeliness initiative and what we're doing to make sure that our backlog of cases uh, is right-sized in a way that meets the needs of department members and complainants. Because we had put that work in, we're in a better position now where we don't have hundreds of cases over 18 months old in our agency uh, and where we can meet that deadline of 18 months going forward from here on out. You'll never again have a day in January where you receive a whole bunch of separation recommendations on our oldest, most difficult cases. But that was the situation that COPA uh, was placed in by the nature of, of that collective bargaining agreement, which is an, an important tool. Don't, don't mistake my comments uh, for any sort of displeasure or dissatisfaction with the fact that there's a, a very sensible timeline now set out in the FOP contract. That's good. That's important for accountability. It mirrors what happens in the other contract, and it's something that we know and will be able to meet going forward. But the level of preparation and the time we had to put in place, a system that wouldn't have stressed CPD the way that it stressed COPA just simply wasn't available to us based on the way the contract went into effect. Uh, We had 45 days to finish and it took everything we could to get you what we did. Having said that, I I will also turn a little bit to to your comments, Chief Tally. Um, You know, I've worked, I've been in COPA, not in this role, but in the department since 2016 and worked with a number of chiefs of the Bureau of Internal Affairs. And I would really welcome the opportunity for us to speak more regularly about some of the things that are challenging, the things that your your department doesn't agree with or doesn't understand when things are coming from COPA. We just had um, a meeting earlier this week uh, where some of that was starting to come to light. So I think we have some common ground um, to build on and to move forward from. And I look forward to the opportunity to do that in 2024 with you, truly. And Superintendent Snelling, I want to ground us not just in feelings about officer wellness uh, or feelings about prejudices you think are being applied in our cases, but I want to talk very specifically about numbers and facts. First of all, uh, like many agencies, our annual report just got published this year, and I would invite everyone to go and look at it. In 2023, COPA concluded 1,814 investigations. Many of them, the vast majority of them, were administratively closed because a complaint made by a citizen, a member of the public, does not necessarily mean there's an allegation of misconduct that needs to be sustained. There are often misunderstandings about what is lawful and proper police conduct and and how a citizen or a member of the public receives that interaction. A big part of COPA's job is really trying to educate the public about what the authorities are that the department is, is vested and has. Um, and so that's where we spend a significant amount of our work. Of those 1,814 investigations that we concluded, only 329 of them had uh, recommendations for any form of discipline. Um, And of those, CPD and superintendent and command channel review agreed with us far more than you disagreed with us. There were 71 times that we disagreed in what's called a non-concurrence process. So 71 times in 2023, out of the over 1,800 cases that we concluded, CPD didn't agree. 
the majority of those disagreements, as you expressed, Superintendent Snelling, were not, in fact, about findings. You typically agreed on the findings, meaning that the allegation was sustained, but perhaps on the discipline. Of those, more than half of those disagreements, we've just sided with you. Whatever you wanted for the recommended discipline, we've said, okay, that makes sense. You're the superintendent of this department. We understand that. These are your direct employees. We make a recommendation. We don't discipline officers. Uh, we start a conversation, and that's what the non-concurrence process allows us to do. And I think we do it quite effectively. Uh, when it comes down to it, we only sent a handful of cases to the police board because we couldn't come to agreement. Then let's talk about when they get to police board. There was a lot of um, conversation in your remarks about transparency around that process. And I think, yes, the police board has a role to play. They they read out and, and make public their independent reviews of our non-concurrences. Uh, but you were calling for something more. You were calling for a full report to be published. Go to our website. All of our reports for summer, all of our summary reports, plus your non-concurrence letter, plus our response, Plus, the, the police board's ultimate decision, all of that goes up on our website. We are being as transparent as we know and are able to be under under our ordinance uh, that dictates what I am and am not allowed to do uh, as our agency with respect to these records. So there is a full accounting available for all of these as soon as possible, um, and it, it's available on our website. I want to also go a little bit into comments about willful wrongdoing versus mistakes. Um, I wholeheartedly agree. I think willful wrongdoing is sort of one set of potential misconduct, but mistakes are also misconduct at times. Um, I, I have to run an agency. I have to discipline people, and sometimes I have to discipline people for things that were honest mistakes, but they were still mistakes. Um, and in, in, the, in the business of policing, to your point, it's a life or death situation sometimes, and mistakes can have fatal consequences for members of the public and for members of the police department. So I think we have to be careful about only wanting to um, look at accountability through a lens where willful wrongdoing is the only kind of accountability or the only kind of wrongdoing that merits accountability. I do not believe that was my comment. If I misunderstood that, I just want to be clear. I think that mistakes can need accountability, and there are some mistakes that people don't get second chances from. But I think the majority of our recommendations, when you look at the numbers, aren't about separating officers. In fact, the majority of our conclusions aren't even about disciplining officers. Uh, the majority of our recommendations are, to your point, about trying to make officers whole again, make them better officers and not make the same mistakes that led them to being a subject of one of our investigations. You know, I'll also go into sort of the split-second decision-making. Um, in an OIS is what I assume pre predominantly you're dealing with, an officer-involved shooting. The split-second decision-making, while that is clearly how constitutional law weighs this issue and how many criminal statutes weigh this issue, um, the policies that this department has enacted, the reform-minded policies that are on the books in this department are more restrictive than simply the split-second decision-making in Graham v. Connor or in constitutional law. Having requirements of de-escalation, having foot-pursuit policies in place, all of the things that the consent decree is asking for officers to do is trying to slow down those interactions so they don't have to make split-second decisions when possible. There are many situations where there's no amount of de-escalation in the world that would make a difference, or a foot pursuit policy is inapplicable. There are all sorts of justifications. This is where sometimes I think CPD and COPA disagree. 
I want to have more conversations about that. I want to make sure that my staff is auditing trainings where your officers are learning about how those policies are applied so that we are on the same page or closer to a same page um, than where we sometimes find ourselves uh, in, in response to officer-involved shootings. But I make no apology for the fact that we have a job to play in this system. Um, you know, no one came to COPA because they don't want to support police or because they want to impart their personal prejudices on these investigations. It's quite the opposite. Uh, the and the body of our work would demonstrate that. The vast majority of these complaints simply aren't recommendations for even discipline, yet alone separation. And where we have disagreements, they're few. They are statistically extremely minor, but they're big cases. They're the things that the media wants to talk about. They're the things that sometimes have life or death decision-making involved in them. And I want to continue to grow in our ability to do that in a, in a productive way that serves your officers and serves the public. Uh, because just like you walk with officers and you want to be out in the community repairing harms, we walk with, we walk with complainants who've had a very different experience and we're not siding with them, but we have to receive their, their version of the events and whether they're right or wrong and it's misconduct or not, their feelings are very real as well. And our investigators have to sit with your officers and don't think for one moment that, that a COPA investigator doesn't sit in an interview room across from an officer who's just lived through a police shooting and not have empathy for that situation, not have real feelings around how difficult this job is that they are asked to do. Um, but we also have a job to do here too. And it's to take the policies, to take the training and to apply them as best we see fit. But I'll, I'll leave it with this. We are one voice in this conversation. We make a recommendation and it hopefully starts that conversation, that dialogue. You are the leader of this department. COPA recognizes that. When we met back in August, I said the things I want to really work on this year and I hope we have partnership to do it are getting a better understanding on disciplinary recommendations and where your head is at on what, what is or isn't appropriate and also use of deadly force in particular. So those are two areas and they're part of my um, Commission on Public Safety and Accountability goals for improving in 2024 are in those areas. But we need your partnership to do it and I really look forward uh, to having more in-depth conversations um, about that in the future, so thank you. Well, Chief, that's what this was about and I will tell you, de-escalation, you don't have to explain it to me, I wrote it. After Laquan McDonald shooting, I designed force mitigation training for officers. And in that training, if you look at the numbers and the decrease in police-involved shootings and officers applying and rendering aid afterwards, the training took effect. So when I say when an officer makes a mistake, I'm not saying that an officer should not be disciplined for that. It's the type of discipline and the type of mistake. Now, there are some mistakes that are made that we don't come back from. It is. But when we talk about willful wrongdoing, as opposed to someone who made a mistake, that's why we have training. And training has proven to be effective in developing a better, uh, more educated police department. I think it's important that we understand that just because policies are written, and I do know that our policies are more restrictive than state law. When we are taking in consideration split-second decision-making, we're talking about a life-or-death situation. That can't be written into policy. 
we can't write a scenario for every single situation that a human being can find themselves in. All I'm asking is that we look at everything. We look at the facts and we take everything into consideration. I don't believe that this body shouldn't exist. I don't believe that we shouldn't have oversight. I just believe in that oversight, there should be a level of education that helps us clearly understand what the officer is dealing with at the time and make a fair decision and judgment on how that officer responded. It's that simple. So my point of bringing this up is that I don't want to have an adversarial relationship with anybody. I would love to work with everybody because if we're working together, we can come to a decent conclusion as to what it is that we're trying to do. If we're going to be effective in making this a better, stronger, smarter department, more effective and more effective for our community members, we actually have to work together. But when we're siloed, we argue. And when we argue, we, we never come to a, a positive conclusion. So thank you for that. And I'm looking forward to moving forward. And I did hear that uh, you reached out to our academy uh, to get uh, some training for some of your people in use of force. And we're looking forward to that. I appreciate that. And I there's just no part of how I've approached this job ever that hasn't wanted to have that level of dialogue. I think, and I've reached out you know, to your office as well about trying to get those conversations sort of revived. It's when we met in the summer, what I was hoping to see more of. But I also understand that you know, it, it takes time to develop some of these relationships, and I, I look forward to being able to do that with you. Um, I do. I do want to note one thing, though. It is important that the public understands and that you are reminded of the fact that COPA does have oversight. She sits right next to me here, as well as the Community Commission for Public Safety and Accountability. So the work that we're doing, um, the the level of preparation that my civilian investigators, who are not supposed to be sworn law enforcement officers, supposed to be civilians, and we've talked about that, the level of preparation they have to do this work and whether our investigations are unbiased and are appropriate and thorough, that is judged by a host of people, including the Chicago Police Department, but not limited to. Um, so I just want to make it really clear that it's a complicated system. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts. And from our very first conversation, I still remain hopeful that like we, we have a path forward where we can better understand one another's uh, positions on all of these issues. So thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. That's all we've got for this episode. See the description of this episode at shygov.com by going to the Chicago menu and choosing public safety. As always, listeners, we welcome your questions, your comments, and your suggestions for future reports. Get those to us using email via comment at chigov.com. Using Facebook, find us at facebook.com slash insidegov. And on Twitter or X at chigovt. I'm Dave Glowett. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.